0: podcast has bad words.
1: (laughs) Every little thing you think that you need, every little thing you think that you need, every little thing that's just feeding your greed, oh I bet that you'd be fine without it.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields
2: Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists.
0: Welcome to episode 161. Today we're going to talk about our addictions, Ryan. All of them? (laughs) Our addiction to stuff and shopping, (laughs) our addiction to drugs and alcohol, our addiction to Mm. outrage and drama as a society, Mm. and our addiction to success and achievement. Ryan in today's world It seems we're overwhelmed By our addictions Yeah man Well well, I think I think it's, yeah. pr- it's probably best to start by by talking about what is what what is an addiction, and and we'll also differentiate it from a few things. So, okay. um, according to the National Institute of Health, addiction is the condition of being addicted to a particular substance, thing, or activity despite harmful consequences, and it is often characterized by an inability to stop. I had. Um, some smart alecky person on twitter yesterday say how can you help me stop my addiction to oxygen i can't stop and okay that's not what an addiction is because oxygen itself has very beneficial properties to it there's Uh, not
2: an alternative yeah it's interesting because like i before i even like before we decided to do this podcast I would have agreed with him. I would have been like, oh yeah, we're st- I mean, you have to have oxygen or you die. Right, there are a lot of things we have to have or or we benefit
0: from. Yeah, having, we ha- I benefit di- from having a bed. I'm not addicted to having the bed mm-hmm. because there, there are no harmful consequences of having the bed. Right. And there's a piece of lint right here on your microphone oh. that we have to remove.
2: <laughs> Is that it?
0: Yeah, I'm, so, so, did I get it? I have OCD. You totally got it. <laughs> and, um, so let's talk real quick about the difference between addiction and obsession there's a lot of overlap like if you have a a venn diagram of addiction and obsession there's going to be this huge sort of overlap so i have this definition here i broke my computer out so that we could talk about it this is from uh, cliffside malibu which i believe is a addiction treatment center and the article here which put a link to in the show notes it's called what's the difference between addiction and obsession i'm just going to read the first two paragraphs When the average person thinks about addiction, most people think about drugs, alcohol, tobacco, and maybe shopping or gambling. When a person is addic- addicted to drugs or alcohol they are chemically dependent on the drug and you could say the same thing about well caffeine is a drug obviously mm-hmm. yeah. al- al- it's weird we say drugs and alcohol but alcohol is just a drug
2: we could we can say drugs well yeah because it's it's a drugs tobacco and alcohol and th- those are all tobacco and alcohol are drugs <laughs> right and and th- those are all addictive drugs there yep. are
0: some drugs however that are not addictive mm-hmm. um Uh, lsd is a non or or psilocybin is is a non-addictive drug Mm -hmm. it does not have the same addictive properties now you can become psychologically addicted to virtually anything yeah Uh, i could be uh, addicted to uh, styrofoam Uh, or to very clean microphones (laughs) yes (laughs) well that's more about obsession which we'll dive into here uh in a second right people who suffer from addiction many times also have other co-occurring disorders such as obsessive compulsive disorder. (laughs) There's a strong correlation between addiction and obsessions. An obsession is a ritualistic routine that becomes part of your normal life. Medically speaking, it is a persistent occupation of a feeling or idea which can be accompanied by anxiety. And I think it's one of the reasons I'm often, my my levels of anxiety tend to be higher than yours. Mm. Um, has a lot to do uh we both have addictive personalities which we're going to touch on in in this episode Mm -hmm. for sure um they manifest differently mine manifests often through through obsession which Mm -hmm. is this ritualistic routine or ritualistic thinking uh obsessions can include excessive hand washing or repetitive counting i i I don't have obsession obsessive hand washing although um i know yesterday we, we were on a flight. We were flying back from Chicago and that guy who was sitting next to me totally like was coughing and stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I'm going to ask him if he'll switch seats with you. Mm-hmm. And we, we ended up working out. But like, I definitely went into the bathroom and washed my hands. But that, that to me
2: was just reasonable. I mean... Yeah, it's it, preventative. Right. I mean, dude, I, I get on an airplane and I got those little sanitizing wipes. Right. i like, I wipe everything down because, you know, I just, I read this article a year or so ago where they were talking about how it was like confessions of a flight attendant or something. And one of the confessions was is those trays that come down and everything, the screens, those never get cleaned. Mm. And it's amazing sometimes how you take one of those wipes and you wipe everything down and it's like mm-hmm. black almost. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. What? So, 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 yeah, it's, it's being preventative.
0: All right. Yeah, and so there's a difference between being pre- preventative and, and being excessively Preventative, and yeah. that's when obsession comes. The counting thing that it mentions here—that's um, definitely something I have, and I don't always notice. Um, like I can tell you right now, there are forty-four steps between my car, the the stairs mm-hmm. and within the in the parking garage, and mm-hmm. the bottom floor. Yeah, like it's just something that that I don't realize I'm doing it, I'm just counting as I go, Mm. one, two, three, four, five, and and I find myself counting different things from time to time, Mm. unintentionally. An addiction is slightly different. Rather than a focus on ritual, an addiction is about a mental escape from reality obsessive and addictive behavior behavior can be commingled rather easily by recognizing what an obs- what is obsessive and what is addictive however you can go back to each individual route and address the underlying problem the rest of this article talks about therapy can be very beneficial there are different types of therapy like cbt therapy uh, cognitive behavioral therapy mm. um to address obsessive-compulsive disorder, and also to address addictions. Now, we're going to talk about addictions more broadly today. Let me hand my computer over here to Jordan no more. And um, let's see. uh, I I think with with the questions we're going to deal with today, we'll talk about alcohol and substance abuse but we'll also talk about the broader addictions before we get into that though like i think one of the reasons that minimalism was appealing to both of us is it was helping us in a way curb our addictions or really get these superfluous things out of the way
2: or maybe it's maybe it's a matter of like getting rid of the addictions and bringing in obsessions maybe uh well there are different types of obsessions right healthy uh, uh, obsessions like
0: i get obsessed Mm -hmm. with writing and Mm -hmm. and and for me uh, i think love is one half passion one half half um obsession but yeah. it has to be the the sort of healthy obsession and, and that equation works when you flip it around as well
2: passion is one half love yeah. one
0: half healthy obsession
2: so the uh, it's to say healthy obsession it seems a bit redundant because obsession by definition is something that is uh healthy it's, it's healthful at least not, not necessarily it's ritualistic
0: in a way so so uh obsession itself is is bipartisan in this case right okay. it it can be Healthy just like it's like saying food. Mm-hmm. There's some terrible food out there. That's going to kill us and give us butt cancer Yeah um, there are other foods that are going to nourish our bodies, make us energetic,
2: make us feel like our best selves, and prevent butt cancer. <laughs> and Prevent butt cancer. But see, but see, when it get, <laughs> but when an obses- when an obsession turns unhealthy, uh-huh. that's when it becomes an addiction. It uh, usually that is the case, yeah, because
0: um, a- an obsession be- turns ritualistic or or just become we become dependent on it. alcoholism, which I've had a lot of experience with, uh, personally not. I'm not an alcoholic well actually i probably am an alcoholic i've never had a drink in my life Mm -hmm. because both of my parents were alcoholics and i saw the the extreme and and they were extreme alcoholics and not even functioning alcoholics and it, it ruined their lives and and i saw that happen and and for me i saw the that ritual turned in it devolved into it wasn't even a ritual anymore it was just an
2: everyday all waking hours occurrence. Yeah. Until they were both dead. Well let's talk about like writing. So you're obsessed with writing. Yeah. But let's say that you were writing this morning mm-hmm. and you were getting so obsessed with it that you were like, you know what? I'm not gonna leave this room until this is done right and you called jordan and sean and i and you're like sorry guys canceling the podcast cancel everything today i've got to finish what i'm writing right and then like you don't leave your room for a week until yeah. you finally so is that does is at that point is it an addiction i think so yeah okay. I, I i think
0: because if we go back to that initial definition from the nih addiction is the condition of being addicted to a particular substance thing or activity right Mm -hmm. it would be an activity in this case despite harmful consequences right and so when you start neglecting everything else now now for us we were, we were actually neglecting the most important things in our lives, mm-hmm. the, our health, our relationships, our creativity. Mm-hmm. So I was neglecting writing for a long time. Now my drug of choice was consumerism. Mm-hmm. Also sort of status and achievement and success, mm-hmm. uh, uh, accolades. It's a weird thing to like want you know trophies or whatever whatever the equivalent of trophies are in our consumer culture the trophies are often the trinkets or the objects that we're able to acquire with the money which is the barometer of of success mm-hmm. often in our culture yeah. um, and now there's this new barometer as well and in, in the world of social media it's a uh, it's social media clout that becomes something that we become addicted to and it's mm. like like oh wow it, and the weird thing is you know you and i will sometimes joke with each other about this like oh now i have now we have you know 300 followers on x platform i guess i'm allowed to be happy now like this right. is the key to happiness of course it's not though because mm-hmm. then you see the person with half a million or yeah. a million or 10 million or 50 million followers and you feel inadequate yeah. so we get addicted to the comparison we get addicted to the success yeah. or the perceived success so could social media be a healthy obsession it, yes i i think so because it's a vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I think a lot of the times you and I we have a very deliberate way of how we use social media. In fact, we hired Jessica so that she could help us be deliberate with how we are using social media. We use it as a platform to do two things. One is to broadcast a message that we find will add to the greater good. So we're we're trying to add value to other people's lives. We want to mm-hmm. add to the greater good, but also we want to interact with people as well. And so mm-hmm. we use social media to interact in a positive way, not to not to interact with the trolls or or to uh fuel uh, to feed the trolls fuel the fire of outrage uh because that that can be the unhealthy side of it we can get addicted to the oh well, i'm gonna get you back or whatever there's some people who do it really well i think Chris D'Elia, he has a really fun time mm-hmm. um feeding the trolls and then subsequently killing them killing mm-hmm. the trolls mm-hmm. you know uh with his with his words but he's he that's his art form in a way mm-hmm. um and, and and so yes, it can be it can be addictive or it could be a, a healthy obsession. Now, for you and I, for me, consumerism was the the drug of choice. Um, for my 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 parents, their drug of choice was was alcohol. Yeah, my drug of choice was drugs. <laughs> <laughs> my drug of choice was drugs of choice. Yes, <laughs> and and those became not just physically addictive because they certainly were i remember you going through withdrawals mm-hmm. but also psychologically addictive like i need this in order to get through the day or to get through this relationship get through this job mm-hmm. get through this interaction get through this day of meetings and it became this sort of psychological addiction as well yeah and and that's the the dangerous side of of substances that are addictive is they're both chemically
2: addictive yeah and, and psychologically addictive yeah, yeah that's man. dangerous man
0: yeah so we've got some questions today about all of those topics let's go ahead and dive in here our first question today is from lewis in queens new york
3: my brother is an alcoholic and he's going through a tough time and it's it's forcing my family so much stress because he's extremely ignorant and he does not want to listen to us when we try to offer him help. It drives me to a point where I, I can't, I can't do it anymore. He, I'm, currently I am 20 years old and he is 31. And He's never got his life together and I don't believe that that should be my responsibility because he's just so angry at all times and I'm the type of person that looks at life and I, I truly cherish it. I would just love to hear some feedback or some advice because I'm, I'm feeling a bit lost.
0: Now, Ryan, he said something fascinating there toward, toward the end of, of his question. Hmm. He said, it's not my responsibility. And, and to a great extent, I, I agree with that. You're just like, uh, well, I can't force you to be a Utah Jazz basketball fan. right. I mean, right. I, maybe if I really like communicated how important it was to you, me that you became a Utah Jazz basketball fan, yeah, yeah. Y- you'd be willing to be like, OK, I'll, I'll sit down and watch the games with you. Sure. And the same thing. If you're like, Josh, I really need you to sit down and watch the Cincinnati Bengals games with me this every Sunday. I <laughs> would tell you that. <laughs> I mean, I know you wouldn't, but I'd be like, well, I really love Ryan, care about him. I'll I'll find a way to get into this with him. Although it's not my responsibility to To be a Cincinnati Bengals fan in order mm-hmm. to to uh, make our relationship flourish. Now, I, I bring up that uh, hyperbolic. Per, it's not even hyperbolic. It's a parodic example yeah. of of um, responsibility, mm-hmm. and I, I say that to say this because I've gone through a lot of alcoholism in my family. Um, man, I'm sorry to hear. Louis that you have a brother who is struggling with alcohol addiction I know how difficult yeah. it can be my mom quit drinking dozens if not hundreds of times and uh you know she had a stack of AA coins yeah. the, the 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 one day sober coins this is back in the 80s mm-hmm. and 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 90s the one week sober the one month sober, and like she had quite a few like one month sober coins because once you go back to day zero, then all of a sudden now it's one month sober. Yeah. Now, I don't know that that's especially helpful. I think if you're an alcoholic and you've gone a year without drinking and you mess up, you you're not, you don't go back to zero. You would now have one loss out of 366 losses or wins. Yeah. That's that's pretty amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so it's almost like this weird defeatist mindset where if, if I am... If I have succeeded, 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 one loss. Like think of the, you know the, the best football team was the Patriots. Are they the best now? The Rams. Uh, the Rams. Dude. Yeah, yeah. The Rams and the Chiefs. What the, what's the Rams' score right or, or uh, uh, what's the record right now? What is this? It's the
2: week nine. I think they're eight and one. Okay, and, so they're eight and one. Yeah. So <laughs> so when they
0: if they won the first eight games and they lost the the ninth game, you wouldn't be like, well, it starts all back at zero. They're a terrible team, right? No, no. You, you acknowledge like, wow, look at all that success that they have had. Mm. And it's a way to reframe the success. And you know what, Lewis, your brother is probably struggling a lot because a lot of people are looking at him as a total failure. I know mm. you're looking at him, at him as a failure right now. In fact, you, you what, what did he say, Ryan? So that he's extremely ignorant. Yeah, I mean, what? How, how do you use that kind of vocabulary with someone that you
2: love? Well, it's it, it comes from a place of love, actually. Um, you know, uh, Lewis here loves his brother. Yeah. And he knows what his brother needs to do to live a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. And when someone we love continues to make poor decisions, then we tend to look at them and, because uh, it makes us angry. Because mm-hmm. A, we can't do anything about it. And worse, like you're watching someone harm themselves, yeah. so it, it, that feeling comes out in anger, and it comes out with calling people ignorant and calling them idiots and calling them stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is uh, that is a very natural. I, I feel like that is a very natural response because when I walk past the bums on the street, mm-hmm. the homeless folks who are like you know, literally like just on the sidewalk, no sleeping bag, no. I mean, just passed out. Yeah. Sprawl it out and I don't look at them and think, You ignorant bastard. Yeah. I just look at them and I'm like, Oh, man, you poor soul. Yeah. Like I'm so sorry you're going through that. But when it's someone we love, it creates this this anger. I know So what you're talking about. I, I've here- experienced that with my mom, I've experienced that with my dad, uh whether it's drugs or alcohol or whether it's, you know, religion, whatever it may be. But I, you know, I have these conversations in my head where I'm like talking to my dad and I'm like, you're such an idiot. Mm. And then I have to catch myself. I'm like, no, he's not an idiot. He's just lost. And so, so Lewis, maybe that's where, maybe that's where Lewis needs to start is, is by maybe reframing how he's looking at his brother's situation. Regardless, though, I agree with you, man. It's not his responsibility. It's not anyone's responsibility to cure him of his addiction because his brother will never get help. Unless he wants it, yeah, and 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 I know this, I know this struggle with, yeah, I know this through uh, through experience, man. Like so many people in my life, including myself, Mm. um, you know, I I did not start to pull out of my my crazy horrible addictions until I actually wanted to get help, until I made the decision where I was like, yes, I need to get help, and then. Then it is Lewis's uh, response. Well, maybe it's not a responsibility because, you know, I guess we're not entitled or, or, or nothing is truly demanded of us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as, as long as we're not hurting other people. But but may- maybe that's where it becomes a responsibility when Lewis's brother calls him up and says, I'm ready to get sober and I need your help. Yeah. So, you know, Lewis, support your brother as much as you can. Like, that's the only thing you can do. Don't enable him. don't make his bad actions be okay and that's sometimes what we we conflate sometimes
0: we think that well by me in the only way for me to support him is to enable him Mm -hmm. i know i thought that often with my mom Mm -hmm. and uh that doesn't that that just leads to a more vicious cycle right where they depend on you for their substance abuse
2: yeah i mean i've had friends family who uh you know they've called me up hey man can borrow a hundred bucks and then, you know, I'll give them a hundred bucks. And then I find out that they go and just spend it all on drugs. And that's why they needed a hundred bucks was for drugs. It wasn't for what they told me they needed it for. And when I found that out, the next time they asked for a hundred bucks, I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to give you any money. I'll be here to talk with you. Mm. I'll be here to, if you need me to buy you groceries or something, like I'm here to, I'll go to the store with you, but I'm not going to give you cash. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's the difference between enabling and support. Um, you can still support someone uh, without without necessarily enabling them. And
0: I like what you're saying about uh, you didn't use this word, but but compassion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that's that's really what you're talking about here is understanding what they're going through. When you talked about the homeless person on the street, you don't go up to them and say, "Oh, you're ignorant, you're stupid, what are you doing? You're right. lazy." You understand like, oh, that poor person. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with your brother. The problem, the, the, the more difficult thing here is you have to continue to confront it over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And eventually there will be a point where you have to distance yourself yeah. at times. It doesn't mean that the distance is permanent, mm-hmm. but sometimes the best way to support someone is from a distance,
2: letting them realize that they're ruining their own lives. Well, it's, it's funny, man, because like my, uh, my family, uh, one side of my family they uh, they have this rule they're like we don't call the cops on family that's not what we do mm. and this enables my family to treat each other like garbage sometimes yeah. steal from each other yes yeah. that is not my rule <laughs> <laughs> and, and oh that's good you get to make up your own rules yeah absolutely and 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 and, and i'm not you know, I'm not telling Lewis to call the cops on his brother. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is, is that, yes, you do get to make your own rules, no matter how your family looks at it. Because he, Lewis might also be experiencing pressure from his parents or from maybe other siblings. Mm-hmm. Hey, wh- wh- why don't you help your brother more? I know that I used to get it thrown on me. Hey, Ryan, you need to come here and talk to your brother and help your brother more. Yeah. And, and, and 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 I did, um, at one point, went and talked to one of my brothers. And, you know, he was going through an addiction problem himself. And you know, talking to him, I'm like, you don't even wanna stop, do you? He's like, no, I don't. And I'm like, then why am I here, dude? Yeah, you can't help someone who
0: doesn't want your help. Right. And because and, then you're just forcing your own objectives, your own goals, your own life, your own beliefs, your own desires, your own intentions on that other person. Mm-hmm. The best way to get someone to change is not to change them. It's to show them why change is necessary, Mm -hmm. important, enjoyable, desirable. Mm -hmm. If they can understand that, then they're more likely to change if they actually
2: want to change. Yeah. And sometimes creating that, that distance, creating that separation, like that's, that is one reason for them to change. Well,
0: last week I recommended that movie, Beautiful Boy, during Mm. our added value segment. And it's a a movie about a father who's dealing with his drug-addicted son. He's addicted to meth and heroin and, uh, well, pretty much all drugs at some some point. He just, he he falls down deep when he turns 18. He just like, he goes off the deep end. And eventually there's a point, spoiler alert in the movie, where the dad's like, the son calls him up and and he's like dad i i just really need i need your help Mm. and the dad goes i'm sorry son i can't help you anymore Mm. because there was what he realized every time he came back to him asking for help Mm -hmm. he was actually asking for enabling right he was asking for the he was asking for more money Mm -hmm. he was asking for um Basically, I want you to support my drug habit. Right. He wasn't asking for real help. Right, and there's a difference. There are times when someone's asking for real help,
2: or they're asking for you to help them hurt themselves. And you know, I, I would I would say too, like, let's say um, this has not happened. So this is just this is just an example. But let's say I had a, a, a friend. Who came to me and they were really addicted, and I told them like, hey, I'm not going to give you any more cash, but I will, you know, I'll help you out if you need help buying groceries or something. Right. So then they come to me, they're like, yeah, I really need help with buying groceries. So I go and buy them groceries just to find out that they had, you know, 50 bucks for groceries, but they decided to spend it on drugs rather than for groceries. Like, I wouldn't, I I, I wouldn't feel bad about helping them at that, you know, that one time, mm-hmm. but like I would learn from that mistake. What I'm Ooh, trying to what I'm yeah. trying what I'm trying to say is is that. Um, when you're dealing with someone in your life who you don't want to enable, uh but you do want to help them I you might have to lean a little bit towards the enabling side just a little bit just to um at least like offer that bit of help because sometimes because sometimes the help can be enabling yeah, um, but you know, if, if I help a friend buy, buy groceries and then come to find out later like I was actually enabling them. Well then I can go back to the oh I need groceries again. I can be like, no, we, we went through this last time and I bought you groceries. But so so I guess I'm just trying to help people find the balance between giving someone the cold shoulder. Yeah. And 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 then, you know, actually going out of their way to help someone. You might actually be enabling them a little bit. Um, but lean towards I'm just saying lean towards that enabling side. Rather than the well, turning a cold shoulder, does that make sense? Le- yeah, don't lean towards
0: enabling, lean lean towards support, and just
2: make lean sure- towards support. And maybe it crosses over to that enabling side for a second, but don't don't stay over on that enabling side.
0: Yeah, and and you have to be really careful about that. And ultimately, w- with with your brother, if you're dealing with anyone who has an addiction, you may not be able to help. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the best thing to do is not let go of that person Mm -hmm. but let go of your expectation of how you want that relationship that other person's life to be
2: i'll tell you the worst thing that anyone can do in this type of situation that lewis is in is continuously cast judgment on the person who is suffering yeah because that person do lewis your brother knows that he's extremely ignorant like, he, he looks in the mirror every day, probably, and is like, I know what I'm doing to my body. He's actually not ignorant. But I can't help it. That's the thing. He's not ignorant. He knows what's going well, on. Well, ignorant in the sense that he's continuing to do self-harm to himself, like, and knowing that he's doing self-harm to himself. He knows he's behaving badly. If, if this, if this you know, coffee was, like, boiling hot and I put my finger in there, I was like, ow. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that again. Ow. Right. And that's it. not ignorant. You ow. know that it's hot. Yeah, but it's ignorant into an, into an extent that uh, I know better. But I, but yet I continue to do it. Right. It's it's a it's a bad behavior that you continue.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I think that the other thing to note here, it's like you you started the conversation with this, Ryan, and I think it's really important. You don't want to meet their anger with more anger because it's, you're right. It's a natural inclination. Like they're angry at you, especially in the moment because they want that money so they can buy drugs. And why won't you just give them the money and shut the hell up and get out of my way so I can go do this. Mm -hmm. I can go buy my, you know, beer or wine or whatever it is. And you want to lash out. Mm -hmm. You want to say, no, F that. We're going to, and, and, it just escalates the situation. Yeah. If they come to you with anger, know that it's not because they're actually angry at you. It's because what's well, the substance talking? Mm-hmm. and And it is a reflection of how they feel inside. It has nothing to do with who you are. You can be, the best way to be supportive in that moment is to walk away and say, hey, look, I see you're really angry right now. This isn't a time for us to talk about this. Right. I'm going to have to walk away. Yeah, Lewis, uh, our book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, which I don't have a copy on the table of right now. Sean, do your job at your earliest convenience. <laughs> I, I, um, Actually, if we can get Sean to send you a copy of it, there's an entire chapter about relationships. Um, and the thing that, that really stands out to me with this is our relationships with other people are, are often, they're, they're camouflage. There's there's this external facade that is created by our addictions, whether it's to stuff, to substance, to whatever we're addicted to. And it's pushing past that and seeing what's really important about the relationship. How do I be caring, supporting, loving how does that align with the values in my life? Yeah. And so, this book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, it's the first book we ever wrote. And it's about the uh, five different foundational values in our lives health, relationships, uh, creativity, or passion, and growth and contribution. I think you'll get some value from that book, Lewis. We'll either send you the audiobook version. If you like our podcast, you'll love the audiobook. Or if you want the book, book, or the ebook podcast, Sean, we'll reach out to you and, and get you one of those. ASAP. All right. If we'd love to hear what y'all have to say. So if you have a comment or a tip about addiction, including advice for any of our questions today, leave us a voicemail 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at com. We'll hear our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. And stay tuned to the end of this episode. For this week's listener comments and tips Ryan what time is it?
2: It's time for our lightning round
0: Where we answer questions from social media We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram At The Minimalists during the lightning round Ryan and I each do our best to answer every question With just a short, shareable Less than 140 character response We also put the text of these minimal maxims In the show notes So you can copy and share our pithy answers On social media if you'd like And now you can find all of our quotes in one place Minimalmaxims.com all right
2: our first lightning round question is from wild thoughts and crazy dreams. How do you break the addiction of wanting to compete with others because you believe you deserve what they have mm hmm. i've got a I've got a
0: short but rather practical answer, and then we can talk about it here my uh My pithy answer is some cultures consider competition to be a mental illness. Mm. And while I wouldn't go that far and say oh, all competition is a mental illness. I'd like to delineate different types of competition. There, just like obsession, there's healthy competition. Like if you and I were to go play, well, we play ping pong all the time. Yes, and it's a healthy competition. <laughs> um, and and uh, there's nothing like hateful. There's nothing that's addictive about it. Like we we're both aggressively average at ping pong mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we think we're way better than we actually are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh and and you're probably slightly better than me, but sometimes I will beat you. Uh <laughs> whatever. In fact maybe fifty one percent of the time I'll beat you because <laughs> I think <laughs> I I might try one percent harder or something. <laughs> um but the point is like it is a friendly competition. Mm. The pernicious competition is thinking that you're in a competition when you actually aren't, right? Yeah. When, when all of a sudden it's like, oh, they have a Lamborghini and I just have a Mercedes Benz. I am clearly losing yeah this competition yeah they they don't even know they're competing with you you're competing against some imaginary figure in your head Mm. and the reason that i i I use this pithy answer if some cultures consider competition to be a mental illness i learned this when we were living in montana right uh i would occasionally do the sauna at the ymca but with, with folks from the blackfoot indian tribe there um and one of the folks there talked to me about like it's weird how westerners think of like if it's a win-lose, zero-sum game. Right. Whereas in our tribe, we think of it as a mental illness. Like if there's a person who's being competitive, Mm -hmm. then there's something wrong with them mentally. And we need to like find a way to help them understand that if you win, I win. Yeah. And if you're losing, I'm losing. And and that's what's going on with, with the previous question from Lewis is like his family is feeling that actual loss of like, Wow, he's losing, so we're losing. Uh, and and when you think about it that way, you realize like, oh, the people around me, if they're winning, then I'm also winning. Yeah, man. And how good does that feel? And then you work as a team because you want to help each other win. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, I think I'm actually going to save this next bit for our next question. Ryan, what's your pithy answer? Cool.
2: Uh, I'd say there's no need to compete with the Joneses if you're living up to your personal standards. If you still feel incomplete, Raise your standards. I mean, when I look at, when I feel like, uh, when I look at my life before and when I felt like I had to judge my life compared to someone else's life, it was because I wasn't doing what I knew I needed to do in my life to live a meaningful life. Now, uh, wild thoughts and crazy dreams Sounds to me like they're not worried about competing as much as they're worried about status. Mm. And that, that is always going to be an issue. If you're worried about your status compared to someone else's status, that is a losing game. Because even if you become the president of the United States, like you're still you, you, there's still another status that you're going to be chasing.
0: Right. And by the way, if you become the president of the United States, seemingly no matter who you are, this is not a political answer here. Right. Pick any president ever. Yeah. Half the country dislikes you.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, even if you become Earth Tsar, <laughs> I mean, it's it, you still you still will always be searching for that next that next status
0: as soon as i become earth czar i will outlaw onions
2: (laughs) and a lot of people are going to dislike me for that (laughs) as soon as you as soon as you uh wild thoughts and crazy dreams as soon as you start to live up to your own standards uh and you start to feel more complete you will you will honestly by default stop looking for that status. I mean, this isn't like a, a, you know, magic bullet answer, meaning that you're never going to want the Porsche or the Lamborghini. However, when your life feels complete, Mm -hmm. when you start to feel more complete and you do that by living up to your values and beliefs, by, by living up to your standards, uh, you, you are looking less externally for things to, to make you happy. So, 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 so the, so in order to get over the, the addiction of status, you have to you have to live up to your own standards. That that is how you that uh, to me like that is how I stopped looking at my status compared to other people's.
0: I think uh, an additional pithy answer there is uh, worry more about impressing
2: yourself than others. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, our next question is from Melissa. How can we stop an addiction to success?
0: Well, Melissa, my my pithy answer to this one is simple. We fail when our definition of success is excess. And so I think we need to redefine what success means. If we're if we're worried about impressing other people, if we're worried about a particular dollar amount, if we're worried about a, a clout or a number on social media, if that's your definition of, of success, you're gonna get there. You're gonna make it to the horizon and realize the destination was never there in the first place. Yeah. And so I think what you need to do is figure out what does success mean to you? Does it mean growth? and contribution? Does it mean creativity? Does it mean thriving relationships? How do you define success and how do you redefine success so that it empowers you to live a meaningful life, not live someone else's template of life?
2: Yeah. My answer would be ask yourself why you want to be successful. If it has to do with how others see you, you'll never truly be successful. You know what, dude, if I could redo that Pithy answer, I would say exactly what you just said on the previous one. Don't worry about impressing anyone but yourself. Mm, Like, that's it's so true. Well, P.S. Ryan, we have three more questions. Oh, wow. Holy moly.
0: Hobby Baker asks, What are some good ways to fight the urge to buy something just because it's new or looks good? And Emma says, They say some people have addictive personalities. Well, Mm -hmm. I know two of them do. Yeah. Uh, Do you think that's true? Uh Uh-huh. And is it something they should work to change in themselves? Let's talk about that. But also Garrett says, how does one overcome food addiction? Which was a huge one for me. You know, I used to Mm. weigh a lot more, about 80 pounds more than I weigh now. Uh, Garrett says, how do I overcome food addiction, namely binge eating due to stress? So stress is his trigger here. And if you'd like to hear our answers to those questions, you can listen to this week's postscript episode over at the minimalist private podcast available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. So if you want to become a supporter of our show and keep this podcast a hundred percent advertisement free. Then head on over to theminimalists.com support. We also do a bunch of other stuff for our Patreon, our wonderful, wonderful Patreon supporters. In addition to our weekly postscript episodes, the Minimalist private podcast feed includes our Ask the Minimalist Anything episodes, unreleased recordings of our live events. You know, we've done 15 live events in the last year on Patreon. And uh, we recorded those live events and, and put them out exclusively on Patreon. You also get unreleased recordings of our. what well, you get all the back catalog of the past private episodes. And once you become a supporter, you'll receive a personal link to our private podcast feed so that it p- plays in your normal podcast player. So you don't have to open up a internet browser and listen to our podcast. You can listen to it right there in your podcast player. You can find all the details and all the good stuff over at theminimalists.com slash support. Thank you so much. If you are a Patreon supporter, we yeah. are really grateful. And here is a snippet from this week's Postscript episode. A habit itself is not inherently good. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom had a habit, a smoking habit, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that is a habit. And you have these certain triggers. Like with smoking, it's like, oh, well, a meal triggers waking up first thing in the morning triggers the first cigarette having a cup of coffee is a trigger for a cigarette going to the bar is a trigger for a cigarette now you can do one of two things you can replace your triggers Mm -hmm. and 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 or avoid the old triggers and put Mm -hmm. new triggers in place or you can take that same trigger and say this triggers something different now you reset the habit All right, Ryan, it's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we talk about something that has added value to our lives recently. Um, so, there are two albums that came out this year from the producer Apollo Brown. Mm. And it's getting uh, near the end of the year. So I know I'm going to have to compile my favorite albums of the year. And I know at least one of these, probably both of these, will make it on my top 10 or top 12 list, whatever I end up doing at the end of the year. But um, it reminds me of sort of like blending 90s hip hop, like the production of 90s hip hop with, with today's music. So it feels both retro and contemporary at the same time. It's like the best of of both worlds. The best of what has happened and the best of what is happening so Apollo Brown is a producer and what he does is he like partners up with an MC Uh, So he did Joel Ortiz and that album is phenomenal we were listening to it in the car the other day I think it was all of us we were uh, going around filming some stuff for um, like living room conversations and this 30 day minimalism game video we were doing Mm -hmm. and and I was playing and you were like what is this I'm downloading it right now (laughs) well it was the Joel Ortiz and Apollo Brown album Mm -hmm. and uh, it was good yeah it's called Mona Lisa and then he did one with uh, Ghostface from Wu-Tang as well. Just It's just Apollo Brown and Ghostface from Wu-Tang. And it is, I mean, man, I felt like I was back in like 1994 or something. What a great album. And there's uh, there's this line on the intro from the Joel Ortiz album. Uh, he said, I remember when making music was like taking a brush and creating art that would live on for years. Mm. And it speaks to, like, how music these days is often, especially in hip-hop, is more
2: ephemeral. I saw this meme the other day. It was, like, when ugly people made music, it was so much better. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, like, now you can't yeah. be famous unless you're, like, super attractive.
0: Right. Yeah, you have to be you know, uh, Justin Bieber or... Right. or you Cardi know, B or, like, yeah. G-Eazy or something. Right, right, right. Yeah, and, and so... I, I, what I found here with both of these albums is it, it, they felt timeless. I mean, I don't truly believe in anything being timeless because you know, go back to the Middle Ages and no one was wearing blue jeans, although we call blue jeans a sort of timeless uh, fashion. But it feels timeless in terms of our lives, both of these albums do. So we'll put a link to both of
2: those in the show notes. Ryan, what about you? Man, I just watched... Uh, well, I'm going to make two recommendations. I just watched the... Um, the Iceman documentary that Vice did for Wim Hof. Yeah, it's incredible, man. Like I was telling you this before the podcast, Wim Hof t- is kind of like this um, modern day miracle worker. Uh huh. But the thing is, is that the miracles that he helps people perform is all scientifically based. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. It is, I mean, there are, you know, certainly things that happen to people's lives and be like, oh, that was a miracle. And I'm not trying to discredit people who think that, you know, those miracles have happened in their life. But I'm saying like what Wim, what Wim Hof does is scientifically proven. <laughs> we'll talk about who Wim Hof is be, people don't know who he is. So the Iceman is a, a, a gentleman who, when he was 17 years old, he kind of went on this this journey uh, w- trying to find s- connection with himself. Uh-huh. It started with um, looking into various religions, different meditation techniques. And then at a certain point, he was just kind of drawn to cold water wow. and like like ice cold, frigid cold water. I forget exactly where he's from, but I know... I think it, he's from the Netherlands. Yeah, it is. It is the Netherlands. So it's cold up there. It gets cold up there. Yeah. Um, and what he realized is that... When he got into the cold water, there's this primal instinct that that kicks in where he's able to he was able to kind of feel something deeper within himself. Mm. And uh, he did this for years and years and years, and he started to realize like his immune system was getting better. Um, he wasn't getting sick. he was he eventually got to the point dude i don't even saying this i don't even believe it but it's true uh-huh. the dude climbed. Well, it's true because it's backed up by stanford research right yeah yeah but what i'm about to say uh i, I don't even think it like it, it, to me saying it doesn't even sound true okay yeah, yeah but but the the dude climbed mount everest in his shorts yeah he, did. he would have done it in bare feet uh-huh. but the problem is that his feet kept slipping so he had to put on um kind of like what i have zero sho- like the zero shoes that i have with spikes on the on, on underneath of it is functionally bare feet right exactly but it was functionally bare feet the dude climbed Mount Everest in his shorts, man. <laughs> like if that ain't a miracle, I don't know what is. But what's beautiful is that he was is able to show anyone, anyone to be able to to uh, hold their breath longer, to be able to go into cold water. Mm. But what's what's really impressive about Wim Hof is it's not just about dealing with the cold. This is about dealing with depression. It's about dealing with anxiety. It's about dealing with anger. It's about dealing with sadness. It's about dealing with health issues. There are mm. so many things that that his method uh, helps with. It's not just being able to get into an ice bath. And up until I saw this documentary, I thought it was all about just being out in the cold. It is so much more than just being able to deal with the cold. Now, are you going to be able to climb Mount Everest in your shorts? You know, I would never try to replicate that personally. Like, I don't have that that drive in me to like prove something that I, I that I have to do that. Right. But certainly, um, anyone out there can watch this documentary and just get. Uh, an idea of what his methods are And then maybe dive a little bit deeper after you watch The documentary um, but you certainly Can uh, you can increase your health Just through breathing it's crazy So the second thing I want to recommend is We actually have a living room conversation yeah. With Wim Hof we're getting ready to record it right now actually. Yeah he's, 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 he's going to show up In like uh, yeah about an hour hour and a half and he's going to do a living room conversation with us, and he's going to show us and our audience how to uh, how to breathe and to calm ourselves. So, like a calming breathing technique. So um, it's
0: called the Wim Hof method.
2: Yeah, I would highly recommend anyone listening to this. If you deal with stress, anxiety, sickness, uh, just give it a shot. I mean, it's it's. I know it's it sounds woo woo y when I talk about it, even though I've I have seen the evidence and and and, and you know seen the science explained it still seems like really woo-woo-y uh-huh. um, but, but so I'm just imagining for someone who hasn't dug into it how they probably think I sound crazy right now but well, just dig into it and like you will see how it is scientifically proven that like this dude can basically help your body perform things that science never thought was possible. Right, he's stretching the boundaries of science and mm-hmm. and, and and
0: the beautiful thing is it is being backed up. He is he they've done uh, some experiments at Stanford with him where they have injected people, I think with the flu or the common cold, Yeah. and he has shown them how to basically manipulate their own and control their immune system Dude, there was to war- fight
2: off to fight off the flu or fight off the cold. Yeah, there was um the, I think it was the one you're talking about, where they had they had 12 subjects, mm-hmm. 12 people did the breathing methods, 12 people did not. Mm-hmm. They were both given. Maybe it was the flu. I think that's what you thing. I think, I it's think the it same was thing. the flu. Yeah, flu virus. All 12 people that did the breathing method mm-hmm. didn't get it, right? And all 12 people who did not do the breathing breathing method got sick. I would hate like, to be in that control group. I know, right? <laughs> what a terrible group to but be it's, in. But it's just, yeah, it's it's uh, it's truly remarkable. And um, yeah, it just, it really helps. It kind of just helps you feel more confident in general. Yeah, with, I can't wait. what to, you can do with your body. I can't wait
0: to meet him. And we'll put a link to the living room conversation we're going to do with him about that breathing exercise. So if you want to check out the breathing exercise, it'll be... Uh, Really quick, I mean, you can learn it just in in a few minutes, and uh, uh, you will walk away feeling, uh, I mean, I've done the Wim Wim Hof method before, Mm -hmm. and... uh, you feel elated and you feel kind of high, and I like to see if there there is a way for me to. It's a natural high, yeah. And you can avoid the sort of addiction to its substances, and maybe replace it with something meaningful, helpful, useful.
2: Yeah, dude, I'll t- I do it every single time when I do the cold plunge at Voda. I'm I'm doing his breathing exercise. Oh yeah. Um, it's funny though on the documentary that uh, the dude with Vice, he's like talking about how he's breathing. He's like, you start to see these white spots, and then he looks at the camera. He's like wait I don't know if I'm like it's before it's like kind of early into the documentary he's like I don't know if I'm depriving my brain of oxygen and that's why that's happening or what. (laughs) But basically what it is is you are building up oxygen in your system for your body to hold on to.
0: Yeah. All right, let's move on real quick to right here, right now. So we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. If you want to comment on this episode, you can do so so over at youtube.com slash The Minimalist. We've got a whole bunch of other good things going on uh, on our YouTube channel right now. Quickie episodes of The Minimalist podcast. We're doing one of those a week right now. We're also doing living room conversations, one of those a week, including the one with Wim Hof, but Ryan and I, we give out some uh, simple advice about simple living, and we're doing a house tour of both of our houses really soon, and if you want all of our podcast show notes, you always hear us talk to Podcast Sean, and he writes down very faithfully all of the the podcast show notes to share with you. If you want those in your inbox, you can sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. Just enter your email address there at the top. You'll also get on Sundays, we have simple Sundays at our website. So you get new emails every Sunday with new writings or videos or anything else that we're, we're putting out, including the new essay that we have out there right now. It's called How to Go Clothes Shopping. Mm. That's uh, over at theminimalists.com
2: right now. Ryan, what else we got? Man, you know, uh, I just want to really encourage people to read more and get informed. I think by listening to this podcast, by reading our books, people are getting informed with our lives. But, you know, broaden your perspective. Read read things you hate. Just read perspectives you hate just to at least understand where people are coming from. Right? Uh, you know, it's taking things for face value, I think, is... It is really hurting uh, the world. It's not just our society. It's not just America. And
0: yeah, It's making it divisive. And, and I like the what you're talking about reading both sides of the aisle or whatever, not even both sides, all sides, because mm-hmm. there are often more than more than two sides. Mm-hmm. It steel man's your own arguments as well, makes them stronger, makes you better understand your own position, or maybe it just changes your mind.
2: Yeah. All right. So read more and get informed. Oh, and here's some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners.
1: Hi Josh and Ryan, this is a suggestion for anyone who would like to give a gift with Difference and who's based in London or be visiting London during the festive period. Um, they've just opened up a store in Soho called Choose Love where consumers can buy gifts for refugees and um, these gifts aren't things that are extravagant, they're basic items such as blankets, clothing, accommodation even, and support networks. Um, not sport network access and the gifts range from about five pounds to 600 pounds you can buy the whole store um, and for anyone who's not able to go in physically there's actually an online store as well um, so the place is called choose love and it's a gift store for refugees
3: Hello, my name is Amy and I'm calling from Richmond, Massachusetts. This comment is for Josh, Ryan, and all those who may have experienced trauma in their lives. I've recently discovered a therapeutic approach called EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Uh, This approach centers specifically around trauma and is a break from traditional behavioral or talk therapy. Josh, you had mentioned a few times during podcasts that you are still trying to figure out how to deal with certain traumas that occurred in your life. Um, I'm in a similar place, and I have found great value in being able to process events in my past in a new way with EMDR. And I wanted to share this with you, Ryan, and your listeners in hopes that you may find value in it as well. Hey, Minimalists, this is Carrie from KC. Uh, I just wanted to share what we do for Christmas. I was looking to the Black Friday episode, um, and just thought that what my family does is pretty, pretty great as far as simplicity during the holidays. Uh, I have a five-year-old son who, uh, has everything he needs. So, for Christmas, we let him, um, pick out two toys, uh, that he will get and those will be his, his big gifts, um. He usually tells us around Thanksgiving, you know, what he wants and then forgets about it by Christmas. So it's a big surprise. And then we usually donate it around, you know, Valentine's Day to, you know, March-ish if it's still in a pretty good condition. But for our family. Um, we, uh, like you guys, will give gifts of charity or just give them cash. But for the moms, uh, the grandparents, we always make, like, a candle from, like, Shutterfly. And you can take a picture. Um, usually we do, like, a family photo and make that, um, you can paste that to the candle instead of, like the the label or the company name that you buy the candle from. Um, And that way they can burn their candle and have the photo that will hopefully bring them some, some joy. And then when they're done with the candle, they can just throw it away and they don't have to worry about leaving a photo up in their house or having extra photos lying around. Um, That way they can have it for this season and then next year they know that they're going to have another one.
0: All right, y'all. That's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call. 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. And if y'all leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never
2: works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time.